You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. I've got Graham Hannigan. He has been in the studio before. He's done some features with Ian Storey. One we did was on the uh, centennial of Einstein's general theory of relativity. We also have done one on the transit of Venus and the history around that. So we've had some great conversations with Graham. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Graham, just before we get rolling, just give us a little bit of your background. I know you were involved in, in satellite telecommunications in your in, a, yes. in an earlier life. Yeah, I spent a lot of years working on remote satellite earth stations, Carnarvon right. in Western Australia, Moree, New South Wales, Sejuna in South Australia, and eventually Healesville here in Melbourne. Right. And one thing that, that struck me was that all these, mostly these sites have been demolished. Right. So, you know, I tell my kids what I did, and they said, well, where did you work? Well, it's been demolished. It's not there anymore. The one in Moree is an agricultural irrigation company. Earlier on this year, my wife and I were at the Whitecliffs Music Festival. Right. And, and Whitecliffs, uh, can you just tell us where that is? It's a small opal mining town roughly 200 kilometres east of Broken Hill and 100 kilometres north of Wilcannia. Mm-hmm. So it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it has a floating population of between 100 and 200 people. Right. And it's got 40,000 holes in the ground. It looks like the, the surface of the moon from all the little the digs looking for opal. One of the things that struck me as I drove into town was an, an array of two lines of seven dishes. They're five-metre mirrored dishes and an underground bunker. And I went to the general store and said, what is it and how do I get a, a look through it? And they said, oh, yeah, well, one of the locals is a, a retired policeman. He's got the keys. Give him a ring and he'll give you a look through. Mm-hmm. So I rang up Bill and he met me at the gates and, and took me through. I knew more about it than he did from my satellite background because, you know, whether it's collecting uh, signals from a satellite or collecting energy from the sun, the, the, basically the theory is all the same. Right. So can you use the same dish to do both tasks? No, no. These are mirrored dishes, so they're reflecting light, whereas a, a, a satellite dish is, is reflecting um, microwaves. Okay. So different frequencies. You actually were good enough to send me some photos of this, and we'll post the pictures of the array on our website with this story, so keep an eye on for that, beyondinfinity.com.au. They're basically like a sort of a, a, a satellite dish or a radio telescope, that kind of thing. Uh, but with lots of sort of mirrored facets yep. making up and presumably focusing the, the sun's energy into a single point. Mm. So I went on to, to then research the history of it. It was built in 1980 mm-hmm. by ANU mm-hmm. as a two-year trial. The professor behind the project was the son of a Broken Hill miner, so he was very familiar with the area. Right. And he was aware that Whitecliffs has the highest rate of solar radiation of anywhere in, in Australia. Perfect place to build a solar power station. Can I ask, is that because of lack of cloud or yes. is that because that's purely about the weather? Yes, yep. all about the weather. It's yep. dry and there's very little cloud cover. Mm-hmm. ANU found it to be a huge success. There were some teething problems that, that needed to be ironed out. In 1981, at the end of 1981, they handed over to the town or to local electricity authority to look after the power that it generated was sold to the town it supplied the post office hospital school and 12 houses it was generating 25 kilowatts of of power it's pretty pretty awesome for those days 1980 one of the questions i 
that came to my mind is how on earth did they generate AC from DC in 1980? The technology just wasn't there. The way the power station worked was that it's got 14 dishes with stainless steel coils at the focal point of each dish with water flowing through them. Mm-hmm. The water is turned into steam. It's reticulated through pipes through to a was a three-cylinder listed diesel. The, the reason they picked that particular engine was that it had separate pots for each, each cylinder. Mm. So they could re, replace the pots with a steam cylinder. Okay. Convert it to steam very, very simply and cheaply. So it was converted to a Uniflow steam engine. Uniflow means that, I don't want to get into too much technical detail, but on the top of the cylinder is a little spike. As the piston comes up, it lifts a ball bearing in the, in the cylinder head, allows steam into the cylinder, pushes the piston back down, then it's like a two-stroke, has an exhaust port at the bottom, which allows the steam to come back out into a condenser and the water to be reused. Mm-hmm. Very, very simple. That drove a 25-kilowatt AC alternator and a DC generator. The DC generator powered up batteries. So daytime, the sun's out, generating steam. The engine drives the alternator to produce the AC going to the town. Sun goes down. The batteries then drive the generator as a motor. And the DC motor is then driving the alternator to continue to supply power to the town. Very simple. Mm. No difficult electronics involved. It's all mechanical. So a great little system. And it ran for 17 years. With no uh, dramas and no, they're no. off the grid, yep. clean, yep. clean It provided living. power to the town for 17 years. So in 1997, it was then converted to photovoltaic by Country Energy. It was a water-cooled photovoltaic and it was then generating 50 kilowatts mm-hmm. of power, which was then fed into the grid. How do you so, convert from, how did you convert to photovoltaic? Is that by, like, so you've re- well, co- resurfaced the dishes? Is- they did resurface the dishes hmm. and they replaced the stainless steel coils with the photo- photovoltaic cells. And I don't have a lot of technical details on, on how that worked or how they produced AC from the DC from the photovoltaics. I, I'm not sure. Anyway, 2005, the site was deemed to be too expensive to maintain because new solar technology was coming on the market. And so Country Energy shut the site down. They simply locked the gate, walked away and handed over the keys to the local shire. And basically it's been that way ever since. It's mm. gathering dust and rotting away, but it is intact. And that's the beauty of it. And I think it's worthy of preservation. Could it, so it still could, could be used. It could be generating electricity. In my estimation, it's not worth doing. The money you'd have to, to spend mm. to get it operational again mm. is not worth it. Okay. As a quirky little steam-driven power station, it's interesting. It'd be lovely to, to see it working again. Mm. I think the cost of doing it, at the moment anyway, is not, not justified. And as so it, first step, get it preserved. Yep. Mm. As an example of, um, the, the, as you said before, the first commercial solar power station in the world. In the world, yeah. That's so, something we should be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, it, and it, worked for, it worked for 17 years without any dramas. Yep. Yep. And then presumably at the end of the 17 years, it started to get sort of maintenance issues building up and, and that was when the cost crunch came in. And in 2005, yeah. 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 
What a great thing. And you discovered this. I think this is quite cool that uh, we were talking a little bit, you know, you're, you've been doing the Grey Nomad thing and you've got the uh, you've got your, your camper van type vehicle. So that's actually how you happen to drive into the town, into Whitecliffs, where this array well, is. Well, we were, we were heading to the music festival. This was just a chance visit and we spotted the solar thermal power station and thought, well, this is something that can't be less left to rot away. But yeah, it's beyond the capabilities of the local residents that they've had a shot at doing it but it's a bigger project than they encompassed so i'm looking for support for the friends of the whitecliffe solar power station a facebook group if people would like to hop on facebook and join up mm -hmm. alternatively you can email fost friends of solar thermal at outlook.com.au so that's just the initials fost at outlook.com.au Sounds like a really good thing to support. Mm. We'll post some links for that with this story. It reminds me a little bit of, I mean, it's a, it's a different thing, but uh, there's a submarine, uh, I think a Russian submarine over near Hastings, which was brought over and, and there's been various attempts to yes. try to get that yeah. so that it can actually yep. be used as a, yep. as a sort of a, as a tourist attraction, really. Mm. So far, I think it's no, no cigar for them. They just, they, they need a, really a lot of money. I think it's, in, you know, it's, it's tens of millions. Yeah. 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 But there's one you can go to actually up in Sydney. You mentioned, well, well uh, you were talking about the powerhouse before, but the Maritime Museum up there has got an old Russian sub that you can go inside and get an idea of what it was like to, mm. to be in those sort of cramped conditions yeah. in a diesel-powered yeah. sub. Yeah. So, yeah, th these things are worth preserving. You know, it's a, it's a piece of history and it's a reminder of what can be done even back in 1980. It does have a plaque which had been fixed by the Australian engineers and a statement of significance which I believe qualifies it for a grant for preservation from the National Library. Mm-hmm. But I need to have a group, I need to have a corporate body organised to apply for that grant. Okay. That'll be a $15,000 grant. That would get, the first step in the preservation would be cataloguing. My wife and I are going into Museum Victoria to do a cataloguing course. Museum Victoria are very supportive on the project. Powerhouse Museum are sadly less than supportive. They said, no, it's, well, good luck, but we can't help you. Uh, we've got no money. So there's an initial $15,000 grant from the National Library that I hope we can get. Following on from that, the New South Wales government, they've got money allocated to spend in Western New South Wales. And there's uh, grants of up to $100,000 from Environment and Heritage in New South Wales for projects such as this. Mm. But it needs to have a, a tourism component the site's already established as a tourist venue. So while it was operating, the tourists could go in and have a look at it running. The little viewing platform, there's an interpretive display with a model of one of the dishes, which was drivable, it's no longer working, that needs fixing. There's viewing windows from the little tourist area into the area where the, the steam engine is, where the batteries were, the batteries were all pulled out, and the switchboard room, all the documentation is still there. It's just a, a fabulous opportunity. Can't be turned or yeah, turned away. Yeah, I saw from your photos it looked it like... needs someone to take the interest and to, to do it. Yeah. And it looked like it was all in pretty good nick too, mm. the control room and the, and the, the panels, the, the switching gear and all that sort of stuff mm. all seem to be in pretty good... Like it's just been sort of switched off, mothballed and waiting yeah. for someone to come along and, yeah. and make it accessible to the public. And you were very helpful. They've actually got a spare engine. 
that they've had in storage ever since 1980. Oh, for this project. Yeah, in case it was ever needed. Right. Uh, And they're they're happy to to, um, give the engine to anyone that wants it. They've also got a spare dish, but uh, it was a spare dish, but they're using it at the moment. But they're now moved on to doing molten salt in the solar thermal development. There is a thing I heard about a few years ago, and it's a it's a it's one of the world's highest structures, I believe, and it's somewhere in western New South Wales. It uses mirrors to focus the sun onto a single point, and I think it's heating water and it's generating electricity there through. One that. in one in Victoria. There there was plans for one in New South Wales up near Mildura, which was actually a thermal chimney with fans inside the chimney. So uh, like. A wind farm, but mm. but inside a chimney, using, using rising and heat, the, and the hot air would would uh, flow up the chimney, which was going to be about a kilometre high. Yeah, but okay. it never ever came to R- fruition. Okay, but there is one in Victoria, a, a molten salt test site in Victoria. The steam engine, the the conversion of the Lister from diesel to steam, was actually done here in Melbourne. Hmm. It was a national project. Hmm. Was also used by Adelaide University to do gamma ray at night time when it wasn't generating steam. Yeah, Adelaide University used it to detect gamma rays coming from the cosmos until they built their own uh, gamma ray detectors at Woomera. The dishes that were originally part of this power station were repurposed. How did that work? I'm not. I'm not clear on how you could repurpose those. Again, look, I've got a got a paper on it which I don't understand. Um, <laughs> Happily acknowledge that, but um, so it's like so. Presumably, instead of instead of relying on daylight, you're working the thing at night, and you're collecting starlight. You're, yes, you're looking for gamma ray sources in the universe, out in the cosmos. You're able to focus on them using these these mirrored dishes, and locate gamma ray sources in the cosmos. Hmm. So basically, that was that was what they were doing, but. How it all worked, I'm not sure. Well, you would have mm. heard about the Square Kilometre Array project. Yeah. It's a sort of forerunner yeah. of that, which is, over, yeah. which is operating in Western Australia. And they've, I heard recently, I think they've mapped the whole of the Southern Hemisphere and even some of the Northern Hemisphere, which I thought was... was I didn't understand quite how they could do that because mm. you reckon they'd be restricted given where we are. Somehow they are able to, uh, to look a little bit beyond the horizon yeah that is uh, is something that's going to be really exciting and and if the if the early results from western australia are anything to go by i mean that they're apparently having to develop supercomputers to deal with the amount of data mm. they're going to be getting because mm. it's, it's so much data that's that's gonna that's that system's going to pull down yeah. that they need uh, i think arrays like farms of supercomputers to process the data yes all right, well, we've been talking to Graham Hannigan. He's involved in trying to get some preservation work done and sort of make it a tourist site up at White Cliffs in western New South Wales. The world's first commercial solar power station uh, is located there. It hasn't been doing much since 2005, but it would be great to have it accessible and preserved for future generations. Mm. If anyone wants to join the Friends of the White Cliffs Solar Power Station, there's a Facebook group with that name. Alternately, you can email me at fost at outlook.com.au. That's Graham Hannigan. Thanks for coming in, Graham. And please keep in touch with us. Let us know how you go with this. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestions for future shows. <laughs>